0: Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping
1: Leaders Among Leaders. Uh, For when he gets here too. So, Mr. Harmozi, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Man, it's a pleasure. Uh, we've been uh, absolutely looking forward to this, man. I want to give you some context. Tim's going to be jumping on here any second. He's on TKT. You know, it's Tim Kennedy time. Um, and uh, you never know how that's how that's going to roll. Um, and we're just talking. He and I are flying into New York tomorrow. We're going to be there for the next couple of days doing some stuff. And we're just, we want to make sure we stay out of uh, any Trump craziness downtown. No, we just want to go do some TV shows and come home. You know, that's all we, that's all we want, man. That's it. <laughs> Um. So, thank you, man. Truly honored that uh, that you're giving us an hour and and um have been binging a whole bunch of your stuff. And I got to hang out with my friend Mark Bell not too long ago as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mark's uh, great. Mark's the nicest guy. He's super nice.
1: He is the nicest guy on the planet, man. He is such a good guy and just ridiculously smart. It was it was cool seeing you two. you know, oversized, extraordinarily uh, strong, but extraordinarily intelligent, uh, good human beings too. It was fun watching you guys connect, man. It was great. He was sending me a text saying you were coming and and he was pumped. Well, I I just, I appreciate
2: everybody on here who decided to take time out of their day. Um, I will do my very best to provide whatever value or utility I can, Um, but I don't, I don't take the time or the uh, the commitment lightly. So uh, thank you guys all for showing up.
1: Uh, Likewise, brother, truly, truly. And just to give context, you know, uh, and I know we chatted a little bit, but all these gentlemen here, I mean, these guys are all over the US and, and Canada, and we got a couple, uh, We got, I saw Sterling on here too, he's over in the UK, so we've got a bunch of really good men who are pushing the envelope here for a year to be even better, uh, better at home, better in their community. Uh, they're just driving that in all different ways, and, and we're going to be partnering with a lot of them as, as we go forward and just kind of push this mission, man. Tim and I get the honor of walking alongside these guys, uh, and then we get to meet every week With some of the best mentors on the planet uh, and just kind of dive in and just have a fun chat so like what a what a freaking great life you know i mean it really is man so uh and definitely consider you one of those guys so um i mean there's there's no question about it and i know tim is got it on the counter as i know you have a tip there yeah i know you have a tim story and Timmy's here i believe yes sir how are you what's up bud how are you i am fantastic did I hear my favorite young lady over there too? After my two yeah, young ladies, she's she's right here. Beautiful man, I'm trying to get. I got all these guys on the screen here trying to trying to move it on over. So what's that? yeah, what's up, girl? How are you? What's
3: that? What are you doing? What's that? That's Matt, man. She wants. She wants to go eat the make the bacon we just pulled out of the smoker.
1: Dang right, as she should, man.
3: Go eat that. Yeah. Go eat that yeah. bacon. Enjoy I got you. to I got to talk about you three times today, Matt. This is a good day so far.
1: Man, that's been, yeah, it's a I don't know if that's a yeah. good day, but it's a it's a day. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah it's good. Um, hey, this uh this handsome Mr. Harmozy here says he has a Tim Kennedy story. And I want to
4: I want to Yeah, hear. Tim,
1: you might not know this
2: story actually. <laughs> uh so this oh, yeah. is one of those like uh you know tiny things that you do, like the butterfly, you know, flaps his wings on one side of the world. Um but you may not remember this, but we were, we got invited to Arnold's Hall of Fame inductee thing because we were big donor donors of their charity. And so they invited us to kind of do that thing with them. And wherever we were staying, um, had a hotel gym and Layla, my wife, being the hardworking woman that she is, decided to get up really early and work out while I did not do that uh, that particular day. <laughs> and um She, you know, she went, she worked out, um, nothing of it. We, you know, she came back, whatever. And then during the inductee thing, you got up on stage and she was like, no way, that's crazy. Um, That guy actually like saw me in the gym and was really nice. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, I was working out at this machine and most guys will like either trying to edge their way in or like clearly they won't even ask if you can like work in or anything like that she was like he was using machine clearly and then immediately saw that i wanted the machine and was like do you want here why don't you just take the machine i can use something else don't even worry about it and um she was like he just seemed like such a nice guy and not in a uh, weird pervy gym way which you know plenty of guys have had wives who you know gone there and had horror stories um But when she connected the Dodge, she was like, hey, that guy's just as cool behind the scenes. And so anyways, you might not know that story, uh, but like a small act of kindness um, is one of the things that built the Tim Kennedy in my mind, because I knew, uh, you know, one of my tests of character from guys I want to be around was, uh, you know, would you trust your wife around them? And so uh, and, you know, I could say from that from that instance, I would say yes. So um, anyways, thank you for that. Um, That's my little Tim Kennedy story behind the scenes.
5: Oh,
3: that's awesome. I don't remember that. I know I try to get two in a day every day that I was totally. at uh, Arnold's. Um, and uh, my, my, my dad would always say, you know, it costs you nothing to be nice, but it could cost you everything when you're cruel, mean or insensitive. So uh, I definitely try to go out of my way to be nice. But then occasionally people misconstrue kindness for a weakness. Uh, so there's a fine balance that you have to walk. But man, that's awesome. I hope your wife's still training and I hope you get up early for your workouts. For all days moving forward <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome
1: by, by the way are we working out before this the 6 a.m show up at fox or are we gonna find something after afterwards well, we'll I, I already got stuff set for us thank you sir that makes me feel uh i was fine either way but i'm extra fine with that and i and i can attest alex like there's you know, we he saves weird and pervy just for his guy friends when the ladies aren't around. Um, you know, he is, uh, he is a consummate gentleman, one of my favorite humans because of what a good human he actually is. So that's a true story. That's awesome, man. Ah, oh, so, so dang fun. Um, and tim we're gonna chat here with uh with alex to jump in anytime if you got to go i know you got the fam too so do it no, i'll,
3: I'll be listening the whole time but i'm gonna turn my okay. camera off so you don't have to endure my face no worries that's awesome <laughs> awesome so alex we want to take these guys, look, the reality is these guys
1: know you we know your story i don't want to do like the normal podcast stuff of go hey tell us about alex hormozzi as you've gone from you know, building this massive empire that you're building. I'd rather kind of start there in terms of like, what are you doing now? Uh, and then I want to dive a little bit into uh, your, your mindset a little bit too. I am fascinated with winners mindsets and I mean that in a in a really real, every positive way possible. Um, and I'd love to dive into some of the things that I've heard you say, and I think are just absolutely brilliant. And then I'm gonna let these guys ask the questions because they'll ask all the good stuff. So, what are you doing now? What does day to day look like for Alex now? It's been a major shift from running
2: a business to running a portfolio. Um, I guess one of the big conclusions that I had is that um, if you if you continue to grow whatever business you have, at some point, the eventual end result is that you become a capital allocator. And so what that means is like if you have a business and it starts making more and more and more money, at some point you have all this excess cash flow and you have to do something with it. And so uh, figuring out where you're going to get the highest returns, either through directly growing the business, like reinvesting in people or reinvesting in marketing, but some businesses don't have huge capital expenses in order to grow. So if you're growing a brick and mortar chain or maybe an e-commerce business, something to that degree, you have inventory that you have to buy, and that's you know there's clear cash you know allocations in those in those settings. In other settings, say it's a, you know, it's an accounting firm, there just might be after everything's done at the end of the year, just a big stockpile of cash, and you got to figure out what to do with it. And so, um, getting into the investor role, which is kind of where we're at now. Um, has been what I saw as the next step, at least for my entrepreneurial journey. Um, And if you look at like Amazon, for example, which is kind of an extreme, you know, end end degree of how big a business can get, um, Amazon isn't really a business, right? It's a conglomeration of many businesses. They've got AWS, they've got Prime Video, they've got all of the different verticals that they've conquered. Um, They've got a whole warehousing business. I mean, they have, you know, the, the, the list is endless in terms of things that they've bought, but really it's just making bets. And uh, allocating capital to get the highest return. And so I think that shifting my own perspective in terms of what am I, I'm going to take two steps back and then I'll, I'll, I'll take a step sure. forward. So um, uh, hopefully I'll answer a question that might come up. Oh, yeah. um, but I get asked a lot, like uh, I'm relatively young given the you know yes, network sir. revenue, whatever. Um, and so people ask, like, how did that happen so quickly? And I think that if you were to look at, people who quote, achieve a lot. And, you know, I I feel weird even saying it, but just like other people who achieve a lot, it's not that they're actually moving faster. So first, obviously you need to do stuff, but I think if you're a part of this community, doing stuff, isn't really the limiting factor, right? It's the stuff we're doing, which is the limiting factor. And so i define the stuff that I want to do is the stuff that has the highest leverage. And I define leverage as the difference between what you put in and what you get out. And so if everybody is just say maxing out the amount of time that they spend per day working, then the difference in terms of speed is what they get for the work they put in. And so trying to find higher leverage opportunities, you know, at the base level in terms of the job that you have at like tier one, tier two is like, you know, starting a business gives you a little bit more leverage. Um, Employing other people gives you leverage over your time because you can have other people spend their time. Um, Doing things that you can, you know, cut once, sell a thousand times, right? Which is like media like this, like we can take this one hour and it can get seen by a million people. There's a lot of leverage there. Like Joe Rogan can sell his thing, uh, you know, his podcast to Spotify for a hundred million bucks because of leverage, right? I also think uh, that was an undermonetized deal for Joe, Um, but- Oh yeah. I think, I think we're still on the, on the early days of people understanding how valuable the audience is because media has been wildly disrupted by influencers. Um, and most of the influencers don't appreciate how much leverage they really have. Um, and so anyways, just as, I mean, I think Joe, I mean, great guy, like all the, all the respect and love to Joe. I'm just saying, I think what he has is even more valuable. Um, and so, uh, mind you, he may have optimized for his own things. That's not my, I'll, I'll cut, I'll cut that one. Um, but going up the 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 leverage ladder right you have you have media you have software you have capital these are all things that we can get we can do one activity and make kind of an unlimited upside on the on the thing we do so like for example uh, warren buffett made 90 billion dollars on the trade that he made with apple during the pandemic just as a minority position now mind you he had the capital and the wherewithal and 80 years of experience investing to make that move but like the move was the amount of time it took for him to do the research, and then the amount of time it took him to, to aggregate that kind of money right. to make that move, but he made ninety billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so I think about those types of things. Like the the smart move would have been buying a chunk of Amazon as much as you could twenty years ago, right? right. When it IPOed or when it tanked during the dot com crash, which we're going to probably have some pretty big crashes coming up soon. And so there will be some Amazons that are for sale now. Obviously, I'm thinking about it from like a, the investor perspective, but if we you know zoom all the way down just thinking, how can I get more back for the time I'm putting in is kind of been the core question that I think I've tried to answer every day, which is like, is there a higher and better use of the time that I have? And Because one of the things that I hate is the idea of passive income. And I know that that's kind of purported by the, the internet world. Um, I actually had somebody make a, like a mini hit piece on something that I had about this. Um, so I'm probably a little more riled up about it, but uh, it was more so they're like, you shouldn't, I said, you can, you can count how much something costs by how much time it took you to get it, right? And they were like, well, that's because he's thinking an hourly wage. But I believe that everyone has an hourly wage. Whether or not you trade your time for dollars, you just divide what you made last year by how many hours you worked, and that was your hourly wage. And so I think one of the things that's been helpful for me is thinking, what is the hourly wage I want to have? And then not doing activities that I believe will make less than that. And so you kind of force through exclusion the achievement of that higher leverage opportunity or work. Makes, that sense. makes sense. I know it I, makes, I, I tried to,
1: hopefully, hopefully uh, what I said a lot of words really quickly, but hopefully that-, that uh, makes a sense. It makes a lot of sense, man. So where you are now, is it more to, to get, and I want to get to how you uh, started to grasp that concept and if there was anybody that, you know, you kind of watched along the way or if it was more of a trial or an error thing and then where you are now with that and with that understanding and with where you are in terms of investing in the portfolio and all that- yeah. Is it more a a thing for you now of finding the right things to say yes to, or is it saying no to more things for you to grow that time, you know, efficiently? Really good
2: question and great wording, by the way. Um, It's all about how many no's I have to give out. And I think saying no is one of the hardest things in the world, especially for people who want to serve other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It was really learned for me because... And I think many entrepreneurs um, have that in that they want to solve a problem, which is why they started the business. And the telltale sign of most like one to three million dollar a year entrepreneurs, because like you can you can almost tell by someone's like if you if I see someone's calendar, I can usually tell how much money they're making. Um, and so if you look at the calendar of like a one to three million dollar a year entrepreneur, it's usually because they're doing like 10 things. Right. And it's because they said yes to too much stuff, right? And you know, Warren. This isn't my quote; it's Warren Buffett's. But he said the difference between su- successful people and extraordinarily successful people is that extraordinarily successful people say no to almost everything.
6: Mm.
2: And so it's just the the quantity and quality of the no's Because the the hard the hard noes are the ones that you want to say yes to. It's easy to say yes to the easy no, or sorry, easy yeah. to say no to the easy ones, right? But the the hard no's are the ones that I had to learn, and a lot of those are on the other side of hard conversations. Um, It's that buddy of yours that always wants to do that opportunity, you know, wants to get, cut you in on that thing that he thinks is a really big deal. Um, it's sometimes it's an employee who really wants to pursue this opportunity and you want to encourage them, but it would be a drain of resources. Like it would split your attention. And I had this coach way back when, you know, it was like a CEO performance coach or something like that. But he basically gave me this analogy that was like a really big breakthrough for me. And so he said, I want you to picture your brain like a jar of marbles. He said, You only have a certain amount of marbles. He's like, I want you to take one out. And I want you to, you know, let's put, let's put this on this one business you have. He's like, let's take five of these out and let's put this on Layla, right? Your relationship. And let's put four of these over here on your body and your health, right? And let's take four of these out. And he's like, at the end right now, he's like, you have no marbles left. He's like, so you want to take something else on? He's like, but there's no other marbles left to give. He's like, you have to take it from somewhere else. And so I think when I reframed the no's as actual yeses, to the things that mattered the most, I stopped feeling bad about them. So it's like, rather than saying no to your friend, you're saying yes to your wife, or instead of saying no to your, your parents dream, you're saying yes to yours. And I think that was an easier way for me to calibrate how I could say no, because I didn't have anything to say it against, right? It just felt like I was shutting somebody else down, but I wasn't breathing life into the alternative. And for me, that was a really helpful frame in order to get over saying no, like today, uh, I said no to seven people this morning that were all asking me for something yeah. relatively big, and that's tough. Like it's emotionally exhausting for me because yeah. I have to think about some nice way to say it um, that doesn't offend them and protects yeah. their ego. You know what I mean? And things like that. And so, if this like, the higher up you go, I call it the woman in the red dress. But uh, do you mind if I tell this little? Please, one yeah, tell, yeah, powerful. Um, so, my favorite movie of all times is The Matrix. And there's a scene in the Matrix where Neo's walking in a training program with Morpheus. Yes. And there's all these people, they're walking past him in like the street of New York. And all of a sudden, this woman in the red dress starts walking, right? And she, you know, Morpheus is talking. You don't even hear what Morpheus is saying because everyone in the audience is looking at the woman in the red dress. And so he turns his head and he was like, Are you paying attention? He listened to looking at the woman in the red dress. And obviously, he says, Look again. And he looks back and it's an agent pointing a gun at his head. And for me, the moral of that story is, at least as I see it as an entrepreneur, is that. There are always these women in the red dress that walk past us every day, every, every hour. There's women in the in the red dress. Now, sometimes that woman is just like a beat hooker on the side of the street. It's very easy to say no to, right? But when you're when you when you've got no game and you've never gotten a girl, maybe that beat hooker on the side of the street looks kind of interesting, right? She, maybe she does catch your attention. But once you establish a certain baseline, it's easy to say no to the, the twos, threes, and fours, right? But then there's another muscle being able to say no to a six. And then as you level up, you have to learn how to say no to an eight. And then you level up and you have to say no to attend because at each level of opportunity comes bigger and not bigger. So hotter and hotter women in the red dress and bigger opportunities. And so that's been one of the hardest things that I've had to learn. And I, and I don't think that lesson ever stops, is that the bigger, the, the bigger you get, the bigger the opportunities you get exposed to and the harder it is to say no
1: such a great example so i've got the matrix color lighting back here we got morpheus right here i'm with you man um that that movie is is phenomenal in so many ways i love the way you phrased all that too now how how much of you you grow into it and your experiences you grow into it and you said you had a mentor and that was a great analogy that the mentor gave to but how much of that is is a nature versus nurture because you have grown you've been told the information, but you have internalized that information at an extraordinarily high rate. And and I would dare say at a, at a much faster rate than most men will, right? You've internalized these things and uh, accepted them so much that you're willing to act upon those, right? And that's, you know, the, the whole going back to like, you took the red pill hook, line and sinker on it, right? And you just, and you went after it. Do you think that's a nature? thing a nurture thing because it was it some of it like relatively intuitive for you too so you're like yeah that makes sense what do you think for you yeah I think um you
2: know we are we do things that we've been rewarded for in the past Mm. and so we do more of those things over and over again you become conditioned and so I tend to be more of a more of a nurture than nature guy I think by trade because to be fair even if I was a nature guy what can you control like yeah. you have your cards, your <laughs> dealt, whatever they are. Maybe you, maybe you aren't, you don't have the genetics to be a pro fighter. And like you, like the only thing you can control is the training, the nutrition, the sleep and all the other things that you do. And so I tend to still at least put more weight on the nurture because it's the only controllable. Um, but I think for me, I had a lot of negative reinforcement, punishment for the way that I was doing things. Mm-hmm. And so it became really clear, at least as I define things, is like if I'm not growing in terms of like. I believe entrepreneurship is one of those really nice, it's probably the best vehicle for personal development because you get very rapid feedback from your environment. You get rapid feedback from the marketplace, you get rapid feedback from your employees, from your teammates, its customers, et cetera. And so um, if I'm not making more money every year, then it means that I'm doing something wrong as I see it. And so when I... You know, first really learned this lesson for context, I was in that one to three million dollar a year kind of category. I had five brick and mortar gyms that I was quote CEO of. I had a dental marketing agency that I was CEO of. I had a chiropractor mar- marketing agency that I was CEO of. Um, and I had a turnaround business where I'd fly out and turn gyms around that I was CEO of. Not only was I CEO of those businesses, I was the sole employee of three of those businesses. (laughs) Um, Not the gyms, but the other, you know, like the agency was me, both agencies were me and I was the one doing the turnarounds. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's where like for me, I had a very big reinforcing event, which is like my mom went to the hospital. I got a DUI and a head-on collision. I had a bunch of negative things happen in a short period of time. And that's where that performance coach gave me that thing. He said, your stress is going to kill you. He was like, wake up. Mm. And so for me, um, a lot of the big decisions I've made in my life, I've tried to put against something else because otherwise I think I've just been too big of a pansy to take the jump. Mm. And so for me, it was just against my own life. And so I was like, I almost died because I was too stressed. I was too spread thin. He's like, you know, you need to go collect these marbles. He's like, how easy would it be for you to grow your turnaround business, because I was the one that was making the most money? He's like, if you did if you got all the marbles back from your gyms and you got all the marbles back from these partnerships where you're the one who's who's doing all the work and you and you and you shut down all the the customers that you're talking to and all these different side things that you if you just had this one thing, how easy would it be? And I was like, my God, I could do it in my sleep." And he's like, and that's how everybody who's competing against is playing. They could beat you in their sleep because, They're only doing one thing, and I think framed that way was how I saw like that was what gave me the the courage to to make those hard moves. But like me getting out of like those nine businesses at that same time that I had running, um, it really took me almost dying um, for me to say because anyone here ever like had a breakup call or or, like fired an employee or something, and then like you want to then right afterwards because you feel good like have every other hard conversation you're supposed to have. Like the reason I did seven nos this morning was because after the first one I was like, all right, I got to fucking knock all these out, right? <laughs> and so it was kind of the same thing. And so I then got reinforced from saying no. And then after I said no, I started making way more money. And then I was like, huh, what else can I say no to? And so it kind of like, so I've had these 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 immediate reinforcers after saying no to big things, re-aggregating my attention and then making a huge jump in income. And Uh. each time I've done that activity, I've continued to make more. And so that's why I'm so hard on it, but mostly because it's still hard for me today because that girl, the woman in the red dress just keeps getting hotter and hotter that I have to turn down.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh gosh. It's a great story. It's a great way to put it too. So now that you, you have that understanding too and the woman in the red dress keeps getting hotter and hotter you now have this portfolio business and you're looking at other organizations are you looking more for uh, i guess the the horse or the jockey right like are you looking when you're looking to invest are you going hey this this corporation's got everything it takes and would you rather have a corporation that's got everything it takes and the jockey kind of sucks or go ah the the corp yeah but this jockey's freaking rad
2: yeah it's a good question. I know that there's a lot of investors who have like uh, really cut and dry answers and maybe in 20 years I'll have a better one. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, because it's interesting because like in the investing game, like, you know, if, if you're five years in, it's it's like you barely have had one cycle. For sure. Uh, so it's definitely a very long game, which I, you know, has two. I love that aspect. I also hate that aspect of, of it. Course. So kind of both of those. Um, but I would say that we want an exceptional jockey on a horse that has four legs and can run a race. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? So for us, it's like, is it cash flowing? Is it profitable? Is it growing? Does it have product market fit? Does it have at least one acquisition channel that's reliable? Okay. From there, like if we check that basically the minimum boxes of like the horse can function, then the jockey is the rest of the weight, because we know that whatever we're going to have to put them through in order to you know, 10X the business is going to take a lot of stress on the entrepreneur and they have to be willing to, it's not really stress; They have to, they have to be willing to change. Uh, right. because fundamentally a lot of them think that they're like, am I going to work more? I'm like, dude, you, you're working 16 hours a day. You can't work more. Yeah. I was like, what you are working on is going to change.
7: Yep.
2: Yep. And that's kind of the fundamental thing with like, if you're working every hour of the day and you're not making progress, you're doing the wrong stuff.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. So you're changing what they're doing. Do you get um, a lot of, you get a lot of, um, do you get a lot of initial pushback from that because of their fear? Because of their fear of not wanting to change? Do you see it more, is it usually a, a fear thing that they they don't want to change? Or is it a, is there an element of um, almost like, well, I've gotten this far. You don't know my bit. Like, do you get any of that? Or is it more on the fear side? Like, what's the biggest pushback? Yeah.
2: I think that for many investors, that the second one would be more common for us. Yeah. Most of the deal that we have comes from our social media. And so it's for people who've read, you know, read my books, watched a lot of videos, right. listen to podcasts. So like they have, there's a certain amount of trust there. Yep. Um, but I would say that hundred percent of it is fear. Not, a, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's an absolute number, but I would say pretty pretty to think of an instance where it's not fear. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite questions to ask entrepreneurs when they're like at this bridge is what would you do if you weren't afraid?
8: Mm,
1: so true. So true. That's the four, four letter F words are fine and fear. Hate them both. Those are the only yeah. two four letter F words right there.
2: And I, th- and I think for a lot of these guys, you know, like sometimes the change is a pricing change We're like we think you're mispriced and a lot of times, like most people think it's like, Oh, we have to cut the price. It's like, no, we actually think that the market can support significantly higher price. And people are yeah. very afraid of that. They're afraid of pissing customers off, yeah. things like that. Um, you know, they're afraid of bringing on talent. I mean, the the biggest issue is once you cross three, five, you know, five ish million a year. Um, which is usually when we start looking at companies. So usually they're doing a million in EBIT at like profit per year minimum, like one to 10-ish in profit is kind of the range that we invest in. Um, it's all people after that. And yeah. the reason that we can do the what we do well across industries is that like the people side doesn't really change. Yeah, Uh, because every business is going to have a marketing department, they're going to have a sales department, they're going to have some sort of HR recruiting function, they're going to have some sort of IT or systems that they need, and they're going to have some sort of finance, you know, finance function, they're going to have legal, like they're going to have all these things in place. And so we know what a killer looks like at each of those roles. And so we help find those. But sometimes in an earlier stage in a business, it might be a significant portion of the cash flow that's going to go to two or three new hires. But those two or three new hires are going to create the the infrastructure that we can build the next huge chunk of revenue and profit on top
1: yes that makes a whole lot of sense where are you finding nate i'm going to grab you i got love it you know, i'm glad you guys are throwing up hands because i want to bring you guys in um, a, a quick one and it might not be a quick answer and if it's not we don't have to go into it but where are you finding when you are helping to find those ninjas for those positions where do you go for that and i'll tell you why i asked this so i you know i've built out a number of schools Um, and helped build schools across the country. And and these are very entrepreneurially driven, Socratically driven, very different kinds of of, of K through 12 schools. Um, While I was doing that, I was traveling around and speaking to Fortune 500s around the country. And and the majority of the time they're bringing me in is because they're going, hey, we're hiring all these Stanford, Harvard, MIT, you know, super smart kids. They suck. We want to fire all of them. They're garbage. We need to do something different, right? We either need to help us not fire them, and we can shift them, or we got to look somewhere else. Where do we find good young people, right? So where where do you you know do you have a specific kind of go to?
2: Yeah, so um, we try and build moats with whatever business we have. And so acquisition.com dot has two moats. One of them is that we have proprietary deal flows, and there are people who are not on the market, but they are on the market if we are the ones who are buying. Number two is that we have what we call Mosey Talent. We actually just officially launched it, but it's been ongoing for the last year or so. And so we get. 30, 40 applications a day from people who want to work at portfolio companies who believe what we believe see the world the same way we see them and so that's obviously the first place that we're going to look is, we have a talent community that we email the new openings across all our portfolio and that's one of the obvious places that we will look but. The interesting thing, and this might be valuable for everyone here is that if you think about growing a business and acquiring customers it's a it's actually a mirror process for acquiring employees and so. You have eight ways that you can, I mean, I can get as tactile as you want here, but uh, (laughs) there's eight ways you can get customers, right? So you yourself can talk to people you know, and you can talk to people you don't know. And you can do that one-to-one, you can do that one-to-many. So that's a four box, right? One-to-one to to people you know is warm reach outs, right? One-to-one to to people you don't know is cold reach outs. One-to-one to to people, sorry, one-to-many to to people you know is you're posting content to your communities, to your groups, to things like that. Uh, One-to-many people don't know is that you're running ads, right? There's the four things that you can do there's four types of people that can do those things on your behalf. You can get you can get customers to do those things for you. You can ask your customers for, for them to send you people. You can ask your employees to do each of those core four activities to promote your stuff, to get either customers or employees into your business. You get a staffing firm or a headhunter uh, to do those things on your behalf, right? Uh, or you can get um, an affiliate, right, to do those things. And so That's how we think about how we're going to expand our customer base in terms of like, is there a channel, one of those eight that we can do uh, to get new customers, but also can we use each of those eight to get us new employees, because it is fundamentally the same thing we use different words, but somebody who's a cold caller is the same as an in house recruiter. It's just we use different words, posting to your network is the same thing as posting content. It's just Different yeah, words, different but words. fundamentally works the same way. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that's well explained. So oh, we wow. do all of those things. And yes. so to answer the, the long, long story short is that at Holdco, the only thing that we actually do is we recruit. Yep. And so we have subject matter experts across departments. Like, guys, if I'm boring you the hell out of this, like, just that's let me so know. Um, but like, so what great. we do to grow a business is that we're going to take our playbooks for sales and have our subject matter expert in sales train the person who's running sales in that company. And we do it that way so that the enterprise value of the business that we invested in continues to grow rather than being dependent on hold code, which would actually make them less valuable. Right. And so it's the who, the what, and the how. That's kind of like, that's our that's our big thing. So it's like, we'll supply the what, which is the playbook, right? We'll recruit the who, uh, and then we'll teach them the how, right? And that's kind of the, the, the three-step process that we use to grow each of the companies. So we can bring somebody in we can have our expert be like, here's our playbook. Now you go run it. And I'm here to, to play defense with you and make sure we can troubleshoot along the way. And we just wow. do that by department based on whatever the constraint of the business is. And I'm going to go on this real quick. And I, I know we've got hands raised, but I, this is important. Yeah. So if right now, so we're we're big believers in systems thinking for businesses. And so if you think of your business as a system, the other reason that people do not grow as fast as they want is that they are working on the wrong stuff, which seems like a repeated theme for me, right? Um, but... I'll give you an example of how crazy this is because on the inside, you feel like you always know what your constraint is, right? Because like if you're deadlifting and your grip's weak and you've got a 900 pound pull but you got a 700 pound grip, you're deadlifting 700 and you can keep doing lat pulldowns. You can keep doing, you know, stiff leggeds, You can keep doing your hamstrings, but until you work your grip, you're going to be a 700 pound puller. And then all of a sudden, some dude's like, dude, let's just work your grip. And then all of a sudden you add 200 pounds to your deadlift. The strength was there the whole time. But you did you had a weak link, right? And so what most people do, what most entrepreneurs spend all their time doing is adding potential to the system, but not adding throughput. And so they work on the stuff they like the most, not the stuff they need the most. Mm. And so having external eyes to be like, dude, that's not the problem. I know you love writing copy, or I know you love hopping on sales calls, or I know you love drilling the team, or I know you love, you know, working on your website. I know you love, you know, doing the recruiting side, whatever it is, right? But usually the thing they like the most isn't the constraint. It's usually the least from. It. It's the strongest part of the business. And I had um two influencers that you would know by name. They have 40 million subscribers across across platforms Coming to me and they're like, we think we've we have we we're trying to identify the constraint of our media business. And I was like, Well, what's the goal? They're like, we want to make more money. And I was like, okay, cool. And so they went through it and they were talking about this really in-depth production process and all this shit. And I was like, guys, I think that your constraint is not media. <laughs> Like I think your constraint is that you don't have a product to sell. Like you have a zero out of a hundred on product, and you've got a ninety-seven on media, and you're trying to push it to ninety-nine. It's not the problem. Yeah. And so a lot of times it's like when you're in it, it's hard to see it. But having sometimes externalized be like, dude, we had a we had a business that uh we have thirty-eight locations that are photography studios for kids, and they were struggling with cash flow because we have to re- we basically take cash open new locations every time we have enough cash we open new locations right, and so. He was like, dude, I might not be able to make payroll. And this is a very profitable company, but it just like cash flow is mismanaged. And I was like, I want you to freeze right now. I was like, do you know what your constraint is right now? I was like, you don't have a good financial operator. At this point, they'd run through three different finance people. yeah, And we hadn't been able to recruit them yet because they had this person, right? <laughs> um, and then finally, we were able to recruit somebody that we knew that we vetted with my CFO, that this person knows what they're doing. And then it's like this thing, you will never happen again because you can recognize it. You can see the, the constraint I have right now is that I do not have a financial operator. And when we put that in, that person now has cash flow projections. They know exactly the rate that they can grow in terms of number of locations we can open every month based on the cash flow forecasts. But until you have that info, you operate blind. And so I just say those as two micro examples oh. of operating through, like figuring out what the constraint of the business is. And most people get it wrong because if you're doing the same thing, and you're not growing, you're doing the wrong stuff so right. sorry good,
1: that was my point. oh that was freaking, <laughs> freaking fantastic and i could nerd out on this all day guys i'm not going to call on you today no i'm just kidding yeah dude i this is uh, freaking phenomenal um gentlemen what i'm going to ask is we just keep it to one question and we'll make it nice and succinct too because we want to honor mr homozy's time and we got some other brothers who want some call i don't know how you knew my deadlift numbers in that example but that was pretty cool in there too. if i can toss
2: this in if this would be helpful for me if you can just phrase the question without context, I'll ask the necessary questions for context rather, mm-hmm. rather than do it the reverse way. If that, is that cool of everybody?
1: Just Beautiful. for time? Okay, cool. Love it. Mr. Bright, go ahead, sir.
5: All right. Um, so <clears throat> I found myself in a number of different times going a couple of different directions with an entrepreneurial idea. And I get to a certain point where that where that bridge comes and you have to, like you're looking at one shift to go and really chase this entrepreneurial idea to put more time, more effort, more expense into it, where I'm looking at my day job, where I'm like, I'm actually doing quite well, it's not terrible to be in, but it's like, it's fear masquerading as practicality, right? And so what type of coaching would you give somebody? It's awesome, you're getting like five calls to say no to every day, and that's that's just, uh, I mean, like just a testament of what you do. But for those of us looking to kind of branch off into entrepreneurship, when you hit that, fork in the road, where you're like, I gotta let go of this limb to really swing from this vine. What would you give us as far as words of wisdom, a book, whatever yeah. I can to kind of break that that little? Yeah, feature? I would.
2: There's a lot of different ways to play this game, um, but you know, step one is you'd secure yourself and your family for like six months or more, or however long you think it would take you to cash flow the new thing. Number two is that I would use nights and weekends to start. Making money doing whatever the new thing is, because a lot of times the idea that you think is going to work is probably three iterations away from the one that actually is going to work. Mm-hmm. So get the product market to make sure that people actually want the thing that you're trying to sell and they're willing to pay you for it. Once you have that, and you can start, at least in my opinion, if you look at your dollars per hour on the new thing and you look at the amount of hours that you have in your job, if you replaced and you traded those those hours back for dollars, if it's in excess of what you're making at the job, then make the change. But that way, it doesn't seem like a very high risk jump. So secure yourself. Like put your air mask on, then go do the the side hustle thing in the nights and weekends, get that stuff going. And the big thing that you have right now is that you you lack the perspective from which to make the judgment. You think that there's a, it's a fallacy of the perfect pick, which Mm -hmm. is that you think that the next business that you're going to start is going to be the perfect business you're going to stick with the rest of your life. But basically every single entrepreneur that I know has had a zillion businesses. And each business teaches you lessons that you learn and you take to the next one. So I would just say start getting the lessons as soon as you possibly can so you can get to the one that's ultimately going to be the one that gets you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm.
1: Perfect. Thanks, brother. Beautiful. Guillermo, go ahead, sir.
9: Hey, how's it going, Alex? Thank you so much for for giving us your time, brother. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you a, a question in regards to business as well. Um, there's a, there a video that you made a while ago uh, where you were talking about how skills compound on each other, right? Um, and they kind of stack on top of each other uh, over time. And well, that kind of derived or I derived an idea from that. And I, I bought this domain called fearnoskill.com, right? Um, and I went, pitched the idea to, uh, to a buddy of mine, longtime friend, uh, my brother. We started this podcast um, that we only went four episodes in uh, and then we never went to launch it. Uh, but the basic premise was for us to kind of talk people out of, you know, going to school or going to college to get high value skills. And the, the purpose yeah. was for us to kind of interview people that, you know, have high value skills like sales, marketing, uh, copyright and that kind of thing. Uh, and then sort of affiliate to whatever they got, courses, programs, you know, consulting, whatever mm-hmm. they got going on. Um, that was kind of the the way I was looking at it. Cool. They weren't on board fully with the vision. Maybe it was me selling it not, yep. not selling it well enough. Right. Uh, but I wanted to kind of get your take on, you know, judging by the, the, the small context I've given you, what sort of advice would you give me to sort of pursue that? Um, and maybe take it to that from that zero to 3 million range that you always talk about.
2: Yeah. I mean, fundamentally what that is, is a media business that you're monetizing through affiliate relationships. And probably in the future, you'd have ad sponsorships, right? And then over time, you'd be like, man, I'm paying these affiliates are making so much money off of me, I should have my own product. And that would be the natural evolution of that business. And so um, I mean, the only thing you have to do there is just continue to give value to an audience for an extended period of time without, uh, without stopping. Like, that's it. Like, that is the media business in a nutshell is don't ask for anything for two years, and you'll probably have a bigger audience than you can possibly deal with. But most people don't, they can't wait for the ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at like what we do, it's like, I don't ask anything to the audience. I just keep trying to provide value. And then, and if you don't have the value to provide, then you need to go get the people that, uh, that have the value. Um, And then for you, it's, it's shifting from how I to how to, sorry, other way around, how to, to how I. So it's instead of saying like, here's how to build or whatever. It's like, well, you don't have the context or the credibility. So no one's going to listen right? But if you're like, here's how I'm building my podcast, like you do have credibility because you're doing it. So it's not like how, like how to eat the best breakfast. It's like how I ate my breakfast or the best breakfast that works for me or my favorite breakfast. And if you make your content from that way, it, it avoids sounding preachy or arrogant to other people. So I think if you go from that perspective, then you won't, you won't be questioned. But I think the, the real thing is that I think you're just afraid to make content and like afraid to wait. So like, if you just do like you made four episodes, it's like, well, do one a day for two years. and And realistically, the first Three quarters of them will
1: blow, but you'll start to find a voice, start to find a click, and then you'll get better.
9: Copy that, sir. Thank you.
1: So good. I reached out to just, I reached out to uh, Seth Godin when I started my podcast. Seth had been a mentor to me in the education space. And I just said, Hey, doing the podcast too. What do you think? He goes, Yeah, episode 50. Book me at episode 50. I was like, All right, man, cool. I love that because you want to make sure I was going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So episode 50 is absolutely Seth freaking Godin. All right, yeah. Mr. Jay Smith, go ahead, sir. Hey, so my question is, um, is basically
0: social, because you obviously built a large following. Um, We tried to kind of outsource our social for our business in a number of different ways, and it just never, it never worked. Um, And, and then I, I, recently we had a coach tell us that, and then I had watched a video of yours, where basically you were talking about having to create your own um, branding. And, and that's one of the big realizations you had. Um, so I was trying to figure out if you had to start from scratch, like, like I am, like, where would you start for social?
2: I did start from scratch two years ago. So I I know the, the path. Well, um, I picked an agency that would just keep me accountable to making three videos a week on YouTube. That was it. And I took those YouTube videos and made them podcasts. That was that was all I did. And I just tried to make sure the videos are really good.
0: So you had you had an agency that that helped like facilitate that?
2: Yeah, they just did like they basically held me accountable to like actually making the videos and sticking to the schedule and things like that. Now, if you don't have the scratch to do that, which is fine, um, then you just go post the videos yourself. Like I, to be fair, like I had enough monetary means to pay an agency at the time. It was five grand a month, I think. Um, Just to make sure that I didn't I didn't want to think about anything. I just uploaded it and they would you know put the thumbnail on it, put a headline, and post it. Um, and take out the ums and ahs that I would be saying during that during the video. But that was yeah. about it. And if you're like, well, how do I do that? Like Google how to trim a video from ums and ahs. How, Google how to make a YouTube thumbnail. Google how to make a headline and then post it. Like I paid. Okay. I had leverage on my time. If sure. you don't, then just pay with your time to go get the skill and then you can do it on your own.
0: Yeah, I was just, I had been trying to, to like figure out how to start things. And one of the things that you had, I had re- recently watched a video of yours and you talked about yeah hundred, a hundred, like the rule of a hundred and a hundred dollars a ad spend was yeah. kind of one of the things that you had talked about. Yep. We're like, we can't, we can't, we can't do that right now. So I'm like trying yeah. to figure out exactly how to start it, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you want to promote the business, you can go recruit affiliates using warm reach outs. You can go get other people to promote your thing for them, give them a cut, right? That's exactly the business that Guillermo was just talking about, just on reverse, right? You go get other people to promote your stuff. You can get your customers to go promote your stuff. You uh, You can do warm reach outs to friends and family and to people that just know in your network. You can do cold reach outs to strangers via any direct messaging or cold call or cold email platform, cold voicemail, any of those things work, right? And you can make content. All those things are free.
0: Thank you, sir. Yep.
1: Beautiful. Drew, go ahead, sir.
10: All right. Hey, Alex, uh, thank you, man, so much for your content, everything you're putting out for being here tonight. Um, your book hundred million dollar offers sits on my desk and it's like highlighted to to the wind, man. So appreciate everything. Um, give a a little bit of context and then I'll keep it super short. So I've got a business that's growing quite a bit. I'm doing everything. I feel like I'm, I'm you, uh, before you made smarter decisions, um, what would what would be your advice on a first hire? Um, obviously, not knowing much about the business, but I guess if you were starting over, what would be your first hire?
2: Yeah, maybe it was uh, Jorgen's uh, question too. So I'll just maybe I'll, I'll kill two birds with one stone here. Um, people a lot of times have like their this is the one hire that's the first hire you hire. I don't think that. I think everything's contextual. So if you just look at like this is how this is how we actually do with portfolio companies. So we do a time study, which means that you take an Excel sheet, you put 15 minutes time and you break it down from the first thing in the morning to last thing, you do it for a week. Very simple. And you fill that, put a little time on your phone. And the thing is, everyone's afraid it's going to take time. It actually makes the most efficient week that you've ever done because you're going to hold yourself accountable to actually making sure that you fill every slot with actual work. What happens is you'll go look at that and say, what of this work? Like, how could I group this work? Okay, well, this 80% of my work or 25% of my work, which of these glop together? that's the lowest cost. And so you basically buy back your time by paying, by buying the most of it for the least price. Does that make sense? And so whether that's, I don't know the business, but it's either like, maybe you're spending a lot of time, you're marketing, or maybe you're spending a lot of time on administrative tasks, which is often pretty common, right? It might be, it might be on sales. It might be, on, you know what I mean? Like you have to look, sales is likely a higher use of your time right now. So I wouldn't necessarily outsource that on the first hire, but, but like, if you look through that lens, you'll, get more for what you put in. so you'll create you want to do the most high leverage stuff and the least low leverage stuff so give away the lowest leverage stuff for the lowest dollar amount that you can I'm not saying underpay someone but like lowest glob of job title mm-hmm. yeah no it makes sense I appreciate it, Alex and as an aside I'll tell you something um most business owners hit their stride when you find your first follower so you got to find somebody who believes in you like you even more than your vision. They believe in you because they know that you're skittish and you're going to change your mind a hundred times, but like they believe in you. If you can find that person for me, Layla was that person. That's when I, that's when it really took off for me. Uh, You just have to find someone who believes in you and and may be willing to do kind of what I call junk drawer activities, which is like, okay, I don't really have a perfect role because I'm doing a hundred things, but like, can you take 30% of them for me or half of them for me? And usually if you have the right personality, who's a strong number two, Uh, you'll be amazed at how much time and headspace you get back.
4: Awesome. I appreciate it, Alex. Yep. So good.
11: Ramel, go ahead, sir. Hermosy. What's up? Never never skip dessert. I love it. (laughs) Cool, man. I got a question. So um, I got a business and it's about 10 to 15 employees. I'm at a breaking point of either going under or going above. Um, And there's a lot of tasks falling in my hands. I don't have enough... um, funds to keep hiring um but it's like media hr sales uh culture um like i'm i don't have like a plan in place it's really confusing i'm at this point in my life like you talked talked about a performance coach yeah where do you look for something like there's somebody that's already done it because i'm like over here trying to reinvent how to do these systems but i don't know what to do
2: understood so Big thing that we have to look at is right now horse wise. Is this a cash flow problem or is this a base business economics problem? As in, do you not make enough money per thing you sell in order to afford the people you need in order to grow and like decompress yourself, or does all the margins work? You're just net ninety on the jobs you do.
11: Um, I, we we so we're a service. We do like automotive products, uh, taking care of vehicles, and we launched yeah. our own line like chemical guys and. Yeah. We're just I'm floating these things like the manufacturing part of it, doing yeah. everything, and I don't. So you have two I businesses. Have you have yeah. a service
2: business and you have a physical products business. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So right now you got two women that are trying. You're trying to be married to two women, and I can tell you that's tough. Um, they both it's, want. It's,
11: it's integrated because we work on the cars, but this is something we're trying to get the service across the United States. But I don't have the money, I'm just confident it into it. So yeah, it's something I have to launch. You know. Yeah.
2: the the hard The hard thing that I'm going to say right now, um, is that. People will give you different advice at this stage. Uh, But my advice is that you need to pick one. Because the thing is, is that you could have a hundred million dollar products business that you spend all your time getting into dealerships, knowing how that avatar works because you are one, not dealerships, uh, shops, you know, uh, service shops, et cetera. Um, You know, you could talk their language, you can sell to them, et cetera. And you can sell bulk purchases, blah, blah, blah. Or you figure out how to get all your attention back from that focus on the service business and say, I want to have a hundred locations. Both of those businesses will make you rich, but probably not both. Either will make you rich. Probably not both.
7: Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: So, and just so you know, the thing that you're facing right now is what every entrepreneur at your level usually does. And I did that too. So I'm not saying this is a, like, I'm like, not at all holier than now. I'm just saying like, I stayed on that treadmill of shit for a few years. And I'm just trying to say this in a short time period to hopefully get you off that treadmill because it will not stop. There's just only yeah, so exactly. much of you. And every business needs juju. Yeah,
11: and you only yeah. Have so when I saw you had your brick and mortar, mortars, um, I see like this business is kind of limited my services, the amount of people I can hire where I'm at. It's kind of a complicated business to keep like growing as a brick and mortar. That's why I went into products. I figured I could do more selling across the United States than mm-hmm. everything, but this service- Which one lights you up more? The products.
2: All right, well then I would say like, learn how to sell to other dealerships, not your own. Do that consistently. And then I would say you got to make the call. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, so good.
1: You okay with rapid fire here? I know we only got 10 yeah, minutes. Okay, we're you're good. Awesome, Jordan, go ahead, sir. Thank you for the question,
2: by the way. I know it's hard right now. Just, just, you just got to
12: push through it.
6: I appreciate the time. and I'll, I'll be quick. Somebody kind of took my question, like you said, but it's, <laughs> I've got two businesses. One's blowing up. One could 10 X this year. Do more of that. And one. it's, and just. I uh, I'm trying to pull the trigger on hiring it scares me to death to hire somebody. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so you kind of got into that. My other question is the second business is a good business. Right. Yeah. And and it's, it's, it's got a bit of a following. Yeah. My partners in that business yeah. are not um, they're not high performers.
2: Okay.
9: They're just not
6: right. Yeah. And, and they're great guys. They're wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, but I'm starting to say at some point I got to say, listen, this is, this is not worth my time. Even though we're doing, okay, we're making some money, but this other business is just going like crazy. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to, I want them to be successful.
2: I don't want to screw them, right? I mean, I would just uh, give them your share of the equity and then they get more for the time they put in. And then you go do the thing that has the most leverage. And if they succeed, awesome. You got to participate in that in the early days. And if they don't, you're focused on the thing that's 10Xing.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And I think deep down, I know that, right? But at the same time, the last thing I want to do is leave that company and have them go under because I left. Right? Yeah,
2: and That's my biggest at some point everyone so. has to be responsible for themselves.
6: Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Mm-hmm. All right. Appreciate the plan. Like it's not much.
2: saying no Thanks to them. It's do you have a family? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So it's not saying yeah. no to them. It's saying yes to your family. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My wife over there is probably saying the same thing right now. Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> she is. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. No, you yeah. bet, man. Congrats on the next
6: one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's going to be an interesting. couple of so. us.
2: <laughs> Lucy.
8: Hey guys, Alex. Um, all right. So I'm in a similar position to the last couple guys. I run a small business that's service oriented. Um, it's very localized. Um, you know, Northern New Jersey, um, mm-hmm. I can't expand beyond the territory, licensing, and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Within my business, I've identified a cumbersome problem. What is the um, business? Just industry? Electrical contracting. Okay. Got it. Commercial? Commercial, yes. Healthcare, uh, primarily healthcare facilities are my like the number one clients and um, high-rise residential. Um, so I, I've identified like a very cumbersome problem. That requires a lot of paperwork, emailing, back and forth, blah, 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 blah. So I know that there's um, like AI solutions. And I've partnered with someone to come up with a solution for this problem. Um, beginning to think I might have partnered with the wrong people, I do have the rights to what's been developed so far, um, which gives me a little bit more comfort. But I don't know. I I picked up what you said earlier, like the iterations, like, you know, oftentimes it's the second or third iteration of something before it becomes the thing. I'm looking at, I'm going into the second iteration, I'm building it for myself and developing it within the confines of my business currently. At what point do you say, all right, it's time to start marketing this and garnering, um, I guess, uh, you know, some public awareness or start like marketing it to potential you know uh creative following
2: yeah i would say that um this is again a nice a nice woman um you have to well there's there's so many things i want to unpack here but i'll try to be as short as i can one if you wanted to scale the electrical electrical business you could absolutely go and acquire other people who are in your state like if you had the biggest electrical contracting thing for all of new jersey i promise you'd be a billionaire so like there's no limit there like i have we have m- multiple brick and mortar chains with many locations across states, like and the licensing, you just go buy a company that's in that and you're like, how could I buy it? I don't have the capital. You just get owner, you get them to the sell or finance you the whole thing, because most people are really sick and tired of doing their job. So you could probably pick them up for nothing, which means that you lack a skill set rather than a lack of capital. Point one. Point two, with the uh, the the software business, having started software businesses before, my biggest piece of advice here is that you need to have a software co-founder. You need somebody who's a technical co-founder who will work day and night, trying to figure out how to make it amazing. And you need a product-driven co-founder, somebody who loves code, loves making products that people love. If you don't have that person in it's like a third-party shop or you're paying something like that, like they're, they're, I can count on like one hand, the amount of companies that have succeeded that way versus having a technical co-founder. co-founder. Um, point three is that if you have these two businesses, there will come a point now where you need to make a decision of which one is the is the horse you want to back. And so you're not going to be able to split your attention between these two things. And so you either need to sell this electrical contracting business, figure out a way that you can get in a position to sell it, meaning there's a, there's there's a leadership in place, management in place that it can run and grow on its own without you, and then you can go all in on this thing. But trying to do both is a great way to guarantee that neither will happen. And right. Before you jump in, this this is kind of a general point for everyone. I was talking to a good investor friend of mine who runs a big family office, and he said, I am convinced that most business growth does not happen because the founders are simply impatient. And so because of that, they make short-term decisions to split their attention. They never chase the one horse for long enough to let it compound. But like, if you do one thing for a very, very long period of time, you get very good at it. And the problem is that no one can wait long enough. Mm. That's great advice. So which one, like, you can do the electrical thing. You absolutely, like, it was a limiting belief was the first statement you had, which is like, I can't scale beyond my service a little duh with that location, but go get another one. You know what I mean? Uh Like, if that's what you're good at, at, then go do more of that. Right, right. If you, like, this AI thing, like, you absolutely need a savage co-founder who really knows product, who's going to spend their time and nights burning the midnight oil to make this thing amazing. If you're trying to do this on the side and like put it in yours, and like maybe I'll sell it to a couple of buddies, like the likelihood that you really get to something that's massive is really low. It's got to be because the guys you're competing against, because there are guys who are probably looking at the same industry building a product right now that does the same thing, they're well capitalized and they're savages. And they don't have an you know an electrical business that they're doing on the side. They don't have a side hustle. It's their main hustle.
8: Mm, absolutely
1: i appreciate that thank you, you bet, yeah you bet so oh, good martin we're gonna be the last one sir so we can honor mr Hermosi's time you're up sir
12: hello alex thanks for uh, coming on tonight appreciate your time
1: you bet
2: and i've got i got i can answer everyone else's hands raised man so i I've, this is my last call today so. that's
12: awesome
1: man thank you sir i appreciate that
12: cool. okay so uh, just to give you a little context um so i have uh basically invented a product um it's a, it's a plumbing it's a plumbing related um uh, yeah. i've never seen anything like it on the market uh, so yeah. i think it's a unique thing uh I'm, I'm at a stage now where i have a working prototype but i'm i'm refining it to add uh, another feature to it so i i don't have any business experience i'm kind of a you know hands-on nuts and bolts kind of guy I, I don't know anything about business to be honest but i'd like to develop this product i think I think it could do well. I think it could be a big seller. What kind of advice would you have for me from from this point going forward? Is there, like, I'm I'm looking for, uh, I don't know if, if the right word is a, a template. I'm sure every yeah. business is different, but uh, yeah. a resource, whether it's a book or whatever you could yeah. offer. I would
2: re- rather than say like uh, the skill problem, I think you have a who problem, which is like right now you are a product guy. Like you are spending all your time building a product that's amazing and you feel very passionate about. You need to find a marketer. You need to find somebody who can go market and sell this thing. Like that should probably that would probably be like a true partner in the business that will spend all their time trying to figure out how to get this in the hands of consumers and or businesses that are going to sell it. Like that's that's who you probably need. And that person should have some sort of business experience um, with the thing. Third person you're going to need doesn't necessarily need to be equity. I mean, a tiny slice if you want would just be an operator, just somebody who's actually going to run the business. You got an operator, you got a promoter, and you got a product guy, which is the three legs of the stool for any business. If you can do all three, you get to own more of the pie. If you can't do all three, you have to either learn or you find somebody who knows it and you give them a slice.
12: So the operator is the guy that's going to. Who's just been in meant, Yeah. Okay.
2: If you can find a marketer who's also been an operator, you probably have to give a bigger slice of the pie
12: to that person because they're really just going to take you for a ride if they're the right person. Right. So, what, what are this? How does this pie look sliced up? Do you, do you think?
2: All what you negotiate and what you can bring to the table. If you have a product, you got a patent and it's clear that it works, it's high value, then, you know, you keep half. I mean, it really, and again, it depends on who you're bringing in. You know what I mean? Um, if you've got somebody who's scaled multiple businesses in the you know, plumbing space or physical product space, B2B, they might be like, I'll do it for 80%. You can keep 20 and I'll run this whole thing and you get a slice for, for doing all the work of getting patents and making this thing a thing. But again, it's one of those, like, does this become a, an idea that I have in my garage that I think about all the things I could have done? Or do I find somebody and I make this thing big? Because, like, the average founder of a tech company that goes public is 12%. That's how much equity they have at the end. Mm. And so I'm not saying that you, like, I'm generally not the person to say, look, go give up equity. But this is me just making a snap judgment on what you said. This is, you haven't been in business before. This is the first product you have ever made. Um, you got to find somebody who's been there, done that. Great.
12: Okay. Thank you very much. But Good questions sir. Michael, is something- Yeah, personal. thanks. A horse? Something
2: yeah, I, a think was, I think Martin had like a had a background thing. It's all good. yeah. <laughs>
1: Michael, go ahead.
4: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, I am, uh, I've got an industrial service company and we're in a super, super niche market. And um, what I'm trying to figure out is how can I approach Competitors. competitors. We we bought a company last year that folded up real nicely into our business. And there's a ton of these, uh, you know, kind of mom and pop run different companies that don't have an exit strategy. And so it's really, really easy for us to come in. We've got the systems in place. So how we all kind of know each other. I mean, these people are 300 miles away, but how do I, I mean, do I just send an email? Do I just show up and be like, hey, I know you're about my age, but I want to buy your company and I want to dominate this thing. So how do you approach that whole thing?
2: I would say, hey, I'm in town on Tuesday. You want to grab lunch? And if they say yes, then book the flight.
4: All right. Um, and I mean, just there, there, is no, there is no wrong way to do that, I guess, as far as just reaching out to me, because it would be weird for us to, I mean, like it's, it's not common for, for business owners to, to just meet up like that.
2: I mean, it's not uncommon. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I'm like, I've met with a bunch of businesses asking about So Sure. <laughs> like, well, I
4: mean, like, a, like the biggest thing is it's, it's a Competitors. It's a compliment. It's pretty, we're, yeah, yeah. yeah. As
2: yeah. long as you see it that way, is like you're honoring them. I'd like. I think you built something really amazing here. You know what I mean? Um, like, I yeah. will figure out a way that we can both win. If you're open to yeah. that. Yeah. If you want, you can get the email opener that you send, like, hey, I want to talk about this thing. I think there might be an opportunity for us to work together rather than, you know, compete. And if you you want some language around that, here's the language. I don't know if you see these guys, the private equity guys who are just rolling up all of our businesses and getting massive multiples on them. Um, But it seems like we're the ones doing all the work and they're the ones getting paid. And so I want to figure out a way that, like, maybe rather, because, like, if that's the eventual destination of all these businesses is they get rolled up, might as well be us doing it. Right, and to rather collaborate than compete because the guys who are buying all of us don't care that we're competitors. We do because oh, our that's ego.
4: a really great point. Yeah,
2: that's a great point because that is we we're end all up merging at hit. the end, anyways. All industries right. end, up, end up aggregating. Yeah, it's only small people's egos that get butthurt about like, oh, he's got a little bit of market. Just like I lost that bid to so and so. It's like <laughs> level up one chunk, and then all the businesses just become products. All mm-hmm. right, but you're playing the right game.
4: Thanks, I appreciate. It. Yeah, there's just a there's a lot of there, especially in the in the in where we are in West Texas, there's a ton of these small businesses that just don't don't have an exit strategy, and we've got the systems in place. So I'm trying to trying to build out something. Let me give
2: you, me give you a, a nug for you. Sure. If you do if you do one of these right, and the guy like blows up in your face, it doesn't mean it was the wrong strategy. It was the wrong guy. Point. just like you sell Good customers point. all the time they are a customer now you have to just level up how you're thinking about who the customer is now you're buying you're the buyer the customer is them who's selling it to you flips the table but it functions the same way how am I going to get them cold call cold email the same way you get business right now you get businesses the same way and so this is my, here's my two pieces of advice talk to a thousand of them and I promise you'll get the yeses you want mm-hmm. that's right yeah. Right? Just like you'd work cool. a thousand lights. Just work a thousand lights.
4: Awesome. And if you
2: only have a thousand, then make a little extra, you know, do a little extra effort. Not maybe just a cold email, but like, yo, I'll be in town. I got I got this idea we might be able to work together. I think it might be, you know, mutually beneficial rather than us competing. Maybe we both make a little more money. Um, yeah. It's a
7: win-win. Give them a little taste yeah. of the
2: upside. <laughs> give them a little taste of the upside. You got you can retire and you'll get a second bite of the apple probably for more than the entire 90 right now. But I'm going to go work on your behalf. I'm your fucking employee now because I'm going to go round all these guys up. You don't have to do anything. We'll fold you in and then you're going to get a big slice later.
5: Love it. Mm. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Mr. Schwanbank. Hey, Alex, really
3: appreciate you being with us, man. It uh, means a lot. And also thanks for everything you put out on social media. It's, it's been a big help. So I appreciate that. My question is: What kind of advice would you give to a business owner uh, that would like to grow to the point where they could sell their company? But they, I just know I'm not there. Yeah. Uh, You know, a small something like a small business that's grossing under five hundred thousand and started a few years ago. Yeah. So,
2: like. Big picture, any business is sellable, but probably not for the price that the person wants. And so in order to get a price that you probably want, you gotta be over about a million bucks in profit, really. If you wanna get a really good price, you wanna be above five. And so that's in profit. So you gotta make 400,000, 100, 100 grand a week in profit is kind of like the, the amount of profit that you would need in order to become like attract institutional money who will give the bigger multiples. Um, and so one is size, second is growth, is that you wanna make sure that you're showing, you know steady growth throughout that time period. Um, and the third is just reliability of cash flow, which basically just means that we want to take risk and take as many detractors that they could stack on that risk side and take them away from them because they want to you want to make your thing look as as sure of a thing as humanly possible, which means key man risk, which is like, hey, man, I'm not spending any time on this thing right? Channel risk, which is like, uh, it's not like if my Instagram gets shut down tomorrow, I lose my whole business. It's like, no, we've got diversified ways of getting customers. Customer concentration risk. Do I have one customer that's 80% of my business? Okay, well, that's a big risk, right? Even if it's 20% of the business, like there goes my margin if that guy leaves. So you basically tick off the boxes of like, what are all the risks that an investor would look at in my business? Why would they think that it would not grow or would not continue to sustain the performance that I am bringing right now? If you cross all those boxes off, then what you have left is an asset that's very valuable because if you can make money doing nothing, then someone else will buy it from you to make money also doing nothing.
7: Mm.
2: Awesome. awesome. I the video on my channel, it's, I think it's like 46 minutes, it's longer. It's like, uh, I think it's like I sold my business 40, $46, 2000000 million or so, like the sale process step-by-step, step, something like that. Like if you look for it, you'll find it. I walked through every one of the risks that uh, an investment banker told me two years before I sold. And so he just basically gave me a checklist and then I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do that.
3: Hey, that's a youtube video yeah great awesome man
1: thank you so much yeah you bet so good all right last two guys real quick mr uh, or no agent smith hey
10: it's uh great to talk with you i've been like going through all your information i'm a chiropractor cool. who works solely with pga professionals uh right. i travel 30 weeks a year out on tour yeah um, am getting tired of it yeah. Um I brought on a PT this year to kind of help. I'm going to kind of split things with him and hopefully split time with him as well. Um but we've had players, we've had other people that live we live I live in St. Simons Island, Georgia, which is a lot a lot of golf and resort type stuff goes on here yeah. and like the players are like, "Have you guys ever thought about creating your own facility here and mm-hmm. Yes, but no one wants to take the risk, I think, is the big thing. Um, At least the other two guys that we all probably take care of all the PGA Tour players that live here. uh, But they aren't really willing to jump in and take the risk. But I think they're a vital part of having it. So do I take the risk, open up the facility, get the players to invest in it? uh, And then if that's the case, how how do I go? I mean, Because it's going to be a gym, recovery, treatment. You know, the whole business assessment, just trying to figure out the exit strategy, I guess. Like anything, there's a million ways you can slice the, uh,
2: you know, a lot of ways to skin a cat, right? Yeah. Um, But I tend to try and make highest upside, lowest risk bets just for a living. And so one of the big pieces we have is is more better, which is like if we have the opportunity to do more better, we don't do anything new. Um, And right now you're like, I've got this events business that's really profitable. I'm just tired of it yeah solving that is significantly easier than building an entirely new business because i will promise you that business will also be tired especially because it'll be brand new and it'll sink a bunch of capital into it and you're also going to divide the slice up a bunch of ways and i'll bet right now of all those players really support you the thing they really support is the fact that you're good at your thing independent of the vehicle and so my i know you brought this other guy in i don't know what the, the deal that you had with him is but I would bet that you could probably like the problem right here now is you have a, a staffing and training issue, which is that you need to go staff other chiropractors. You need to train them to run these events on your behalf and then create a brand around it that other people know is a very legit brand. And then you can run 300 events a year uh, that you are, you know, go participate in hundred, you know, 300 events a year and take a slice and maybe do a profit share with them on the events that they do, whatever. Um, but that becomes a model that in and of itself is sellable. There's events businesses sell all the time. Um, so I think, I think you're two tweaks away from making your current business sellable rather than trying to start a hundred tweaks away from trying to make a new business that you've never done sellable. Awesome. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's how I would look at it. Cause there's basically no risk in terms of like, you know, you have product market fit for what you currently do. Great. Right. So like, how do we, like one of the other questions I like to ask is, um, how do we do 10 times more of what we're currently doing? And the answer to that question is the constraint of the business. And so it's like, solve that. Okay. So awesome. just go, you have to just go recruit and go and, and train other people to do what you do. And then you can just stay at home and send them off. Because I'll bet you there are some people who are, younger in their careers and probably more willing to travel and like being on stage, like the limelight, all that kind of stuff. There would be plenty of guys that want to do what I do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so shit, you probably charge them to do it. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? Help them build their resume. Like there's a lot of ways that you can monetize it without taking nearly the risk that you were were thinking about. And I think you still make, get those pro guys, get them to endorse you. If they still love you, like absolutely. Those become the ads behind or in front of the brand that you build. Awesome. Appreciate it. Cool.
1: And last but not least, Stack Attack.
7: Yes, sir. So I've been a solo entrepreneur primarily for roughly 20 plus years. I'm pretty good at it. do a lot of things pretty well. Um, we're looking to scale my business uh, this year. I, I have developed a software, which I took your notes on what you were talking about to Lou. That uh, does have product market fit, and we have got some technical skills to be able to execute on it. Uh, biggest question is in regards to mindset of going from solo entrepreneur to uh, more running a company, you know, sort of a, a, a bigger 10X company and just making myself personally get there before the business gets there.
2: Yeah, understood.
7: So at least as
2: I see it, the entrepreneurial path is one of a continuing relinquishing of control, which is that, in the beginning you give up control because right now as a solopreneur, you control everything. And usually we tell ourselves stories, like no one can do it. Like I I can do it every, you know, I'm irreplaceable, but I try and replace those with like, if I can do it, someone else can do it better (laughs) (laughs) because they'd be fully focused on it rather than just one tenth of my time, they would spend all their time on it. Um, And I think a lot of those things are just our beliefs. Which is like you have to believe that other people can do it better than you. And there's also a time when you have to know good enough is good enough in order to scale. And so I would look at the same like look at my look at my time stack, try and try and pay off the the, the bottom thing, buy the time back, do a higher leverage, higher income thing for that time because you're still gonna spend all your time working this whole time. And so we're gonna
7: keep trading the
2: time for other people to keep doing some of the other things as you trade it off your calendar. So
7: you would you would you would execute that continually execute that strategy it's that Talk never it's, yeah just always never, execute that yeah so, right, cool i mean
2: that's it awesome. and like the thing is is a lot of this is a becoming thing because the type of talent that you are going to have to attract is going to have to be attracted to the type of leader that you are and that's why you know if you look at meta skills like skills that apply across um fundamentally, if you can get other people to do stuff is the only, is the first and last skill that you will ever need. Because if you don't know how to start a business, but you can get somebody else who knows how to start a business to start a business for you, then you don't need to learn anything. Like if you don't know how to market, but you know how to get somebody who's really good at marketing to market for you, then you don't need to learn how to market.
1: True.
2: And so that's like the, talk about leverage, right? It's like, well, I can either spend all my time cold calling or I can cold call for a day, get an employee and have them cold call. Great. Now I just got him back a hundred days of my year. Fantastic. Yeah. What else can I do with this time? Right. Yeah. And if I, if I want to go one level above that, I cold call to get a recruiter and have that recruiter go uh, find a new cold caller every week for me at the end of the year, I have 52 cold callers. And I only made one set of cold callers,
12: which is a really good recruiter. Well, yeah. Love it. Appreciate it.
7: No, you bet. Hopefully that answered it. It's I, I think it did. It got, it got me, it gets me, and I'm kind of on that track. It kind of confirms the track. I like the time stack. I like that yeah. idea continuously rolling that that yeah. uh that feels good and the continuously leveraging the time you we'll have, have to humble
12: yourself, yourself hardcore mm-hmm. yeah
7: and that's that's the key yeah well, even if i logically know that answer emotionally it's still harder to execute
2: 100 percent. that's why the entrepreneurial journey is tough yeah mr humble you, the market tells you you're not good enough
1: that's right ah oh, sir you've given a uh a masterclass went over and above on the, on the time too, and made sure you got all those questions. You're an amazing human being. That's great that it goes out on a podcast, man. How else is there any way we can be an asset to you, sir? Because this is a, this is a big deal, man. And I'm extraordinarily grateful.
2: No, you bet. I, uh, I mean, I appreciate you guys honoring me with the time that you guys had. I know you guys had plenty of other things you could be doing with it. And so, uh, you know, thank you for flying sky Hermosi today. Uh, so good. You know, I've got a, I've got hundred million dollar leads. Which is the next book coming out. Be 99 cents like the last one. I think for many of you who are trying to scale your acquisition, it'll be helpful. It also talks about how to recruit employees and bring them on and how to get them to duplicate the same skills so they can get leads for you, that kind of stuff. Um, that's the next book. I mean, I'll probably do a big launch for it. And if you share it, it would mean the world to me. Besides that, you know where to find me on all the social medias. Um, and so that's that's where I'm at. That's it. And if you have a company that
1: does one to 10 million in profit, hit me up. <laughs> oh dang right um you're a fantastic human man thank you brother it was a it was an honor it was a pleasure um tim and i are going to head out to new york tomorrow we're we're also planning uh an event out at sheepdog in uh in august too so i'll shoot you the details of that because we'd love to have you um come out there too it's gonna be some uh we're gonna have a good time man so i'll send the invite your way too if you can make it great we'd love to have you and, and honor you that way too
2: appreciate it thank you guys all so much for having me uh super honored and i hope, hope you got some
9: utility from the time thank you brother
0: You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.